Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey yo! Welcome to the podcast, Father John, Father Nathan. In a rare act of asceticism, we had to turn off the jazz loom. Yes. Take this one seriously that because was, we knew it was just too much. We were sailing on the club catamaran and just had to, you know, dock for a little bit so we could put out another podcast for you listeners. Oh, well said, well said. So here we are back in the uh, bowels of Schloss Goebbels, which is uh, the studio slash the guest room. So True. Trevor wants to go to bed. It's uh, quarter to ten. Yeah, you got to get to the airport, so the it's airport. not going to be too long. And uh, we got a long day of eating ahead of us tomorrow, Thanksgiving. It's been a good day for eating. It has been a good day for eating. Um, I just want to give another public service announcement. Um, uh, we are hoping to have a mass at uh, St. Joan of Arc that we would invite people out for uh, the 1130 mass, 1130 mass um, during the weekend of festivities for the 10th anniversary uh, Schloss Goebbels is off oh, limits. Oh, he's calling it. I'm calling it. There's going to be armed security guards. I mean, there you you're allowed to to know where it is, but like you know, don't don't be like you know snooping around and gonna trying to steal trying to steal memorabilia and everything. A lot so. of snooping. I have a guard dog. Wouldn't you do it though? Honestly, what if you flew in for this thing? I know. You'd snoop a little bit. You'd snoopy snoop. Still snoop. But I'm just telling you, like, I have a guard dog. His name is Father Hartley, <laughs> and he will not be pleased if he people takes are... No, he takes no prisoners. Right. Yeah. We, we're going to welcome everybody out to St. Jones, and I'll I'll point out where uh, Schloss Goebbels is. Oh, St. Jones. Okay, yeah. What? St. Joni's. You know. Joni Baez. Yeah, I think that the... Uh, uh, we got to lay be... down some boundaries. Yep. Some. Yep, healthy boundaries make for healthy friendships, right? True. Yep. I think that the... Uh, it's going to be great to have everybody. Uh, we were so excited when uh, we saw that uh, some people are coming in for this. And uh, we uh, we want to have a, a great night, a great party, great celebration, live podcast. But also, uh, we do want to celebrate uh, and pray together. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, if you're around that weekend, so this is going to be Sunday morning, uh, January 12th, uh, we'd love to have you uh, out here at uh, St. Joan of Arc. Right. In Farvada, as we say, the ends of the... Uh, metropolitan area yep and the reign in the kingdom of his lordship father nathan here we are yep yep i i don't, I don't want it to seem like it's you know i mean people just they get excited you know right right just all of a sudden taking home bricks and you know but i know all kinds of maybe things. taking a maybe taking a goose or i two. would worry more about cuts of hair you know those are long gone yeah that's true those are long gone. It'll almost be the year anniversary since I cut the mullet. So, Ugh. well, apparently mullets are back. My right. godmother, Aunt Judy, who yeah. I was with this weekend, mm-hmm. was telling me. She said, "You're not going to believe it, but mullets are back." And I was like, "I think I know why they're back." Partially because of Sea Conference last year. Well, it was already it was already in full rage by then. So, I was but, talking to some guys at Benedictine College. Um, <laughs> shout out if there's any listening. <laughs> I guess the boys they. This is all the guys who don't have girlfriends, apparently. Okay. The beginning of the fall term, they start growing their hair, and they just let it grow. Liam Sullivan, he has a good flow going. I was like, that's good. And he's like, yeah, we grow this until there's the big whatever um, spring fest, which is like four days before the finals, and they all cut mullets. But this is what they do. Yeah. This is what you do when you're in college, right? Well, 
I mean, you got to strut. You got to strut like the peacock, and hopefully the ladies pay attention. The best thing, I think, is in Minnesota where the uh, the hockey tournament every year. Agreed. I mean, that is just amazing. Yeah. The hockey here that you see. Right. You know, the flow. The flow. Yep. It's impressive. So. Yep. All right, my friend. It's getting late. It's the getting ban- late. banter runs thin late at nights. True. And it's dangerous. It's like uh, I uh, I was getting fired up at this Balthazar conference, and I was talking about at a dinner table with all these people that I respect who no longer respect me because I got worked up, and I just said – I was talking again like about Marx, Nietzsche, and Freud, and uh, as we do, and I said, it's like these three, they come together – and it's like a Mazel Tov cocktail that is thrown into the culture. And they were like, Molotov. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go get another drink. I was like, Adrian Walker is sitting on my left. Like Rodney Hauser is sitting on my right. These are like the great Balthazar scholars that I've been reading. And I just said, Mazel Tov cocktail. And they just died laughing. I was Mazel like, Tov cocktail. I was like, they were like, what was it, a bar mitzvah? I was like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. That's tough. I say stupid things. That's it's tough. It's the curse of being an extrovert, right? You just you just kind of go in and, you know, and then there you are with Adrian Walker. And you're like, I am a total loser. Yeah. I mean, in a very non-similar, but, you know, trying to follow up from your story way, um, we met uh, Jack Del Rio at the airport heading out for really? our, uh, heading out for our canonical retreat as deacons. And uh, Jack Del Rio was the coach of the Oakland Raiders at the time, former coach of the Jaguars, former defensive coordinator for the for the Broncos. You know, and a good Catholic. Yeah. I mean, great yeah. guy. And I and like I swear I saw him. And people were like, "Oh no, you didn't see Jack Del Rio." I'm like, "I saw Jack Del Rio." So we we pretty much stalked him in the airport to try to find out where he was. And uh, he was going out to a conference at MIT. And uh, you know, I'm like. I got to think of something intelligent to say. So I said, uh, I said, yeah, I mean, they've done a lot of uh, work with sabermetrics in baseball. I'm sure that maybe someday they'll, they'll start doing, you know, sabermetrics and in football and, and um, this is what you you led with. Well, we kind of talked to him, met him, whatever else, shook his hand, uh, nice handshake, firm, inviting. Um, And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, and I said, you know, maybe they'll use sabermetrics in uh, football, you know, and he goes, we've been doing that for years. And I'm like, I'm a total loser. And okay, uh, yeah. And then it was like the conversation kind of died from there. I was like, "So you, <laughs> you do football? That's cool. And you're Catholic? Oh, that's cool. It's crazy. We have a lot in common. We have a lot in common. Ooh, but yeah. anyways, whatever. Jack Del Rio. I'm sure he he'll never forget you. So yeah. as you as you talked about, uh, you know, your classes that you you know riff on. Uh, I I kind of want to riff on. I I don't prepare my daily mass homilies. I think my people know that. Um, but uh, I think it's important for other people to know that. Uh, but I just listen to the readings, and I listen attentively because there's always a word, right. and it's it's always fascinating to hear how it how it kind of comes into play, and maybe they see the connection. Um, I'm just filling up airtime so that they can get over to Thursday Donuts, you know, right? For uh, uh, what is it? Uh, for uh, coffee and holy conversation. Uh, uh, that's what uh, Deacon Rex always says. Right. So uh, this was the reading the other day from the book of the prophet Daniel, uh, from uh, Daniel chapter 2. It's this vision. You know, we talked about dreams in the last podcast. So, you know, sometimes people have some crazy dreams. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a, a crazy dream where he imagined this, this statue that was built out of all of these, these different uh, materials, gold, 
uh, bronze, iron, and then tile, and then partly clay, and whatever else. And then there's this line. Uh, <laughs> uh, while you looked at the statue, a stone which was hewn from a mountain without a hand being put to it, struck its iron and tile feet, breaking them in pieces. The iron, tile, bronze, silver, and gold all crumbled at once, fine as the chaff on the threshing floor in summer, and the wind blew them away without leaving a trace. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And I, I was musing on God as the destroyer mm. and uh, just pondering at times or how many times in the scriptures God actually lays waste certain things and how much joy he takes from uh, tearing down what we think will last forever, what we think you know should last forever. And the image of this statue is really impressive for Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, to him it's like, I had this crazy dream, and, and then you know as, he, as Daniel starts you know telling the dream, it's like, you're the head of gold, you're amazing, like all the kingdoms of the earth have been put into your hands, and, uh, and then the next guy after you is not going to be as good, because if you're so great, then the next guy can't be better than you, because right. you're so great. So then it's just, you're so great, and then the next guy's, yeah, kind of good, and the next guy's, eh, a little bit worse, and then a little bit worse, and then eventually, that, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's fallen into nothing, but the idea that this statue is going to get exploded by a stone, which nobody, nobody expects, and nobody touched, all of a sudden comes and crushes the whole thing, like, that's kind of terrifying. That's kind of off-putting. And uh, Jesus is the one that kind of overturns more than just the tables in the temple. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's a wild bird. And when he tells a lot of these stories, he's kind of uh, exploding our understanding of what, um, of what we think is, is going to be forever. Right. And um, I'm, I'm thinking about this in part because... You know, as we as we get older, we think about how in the heck did we end up where we are? I mean, when we think about uh, anniversaries of the podcast or anniversaries of priesthood or the fact that I've lived in Denver now a th almost a third of my life, um, whereas, you know, I never thought I'd, I'd leave. Like, there were so many times that God destroyed what I thought was going to be forever, and I lamented that, and I just had just deep sadness over what I thought was going to continue, and then it doesn't. So I want to talk about destroying moments, not in terms of... Um, Conversations with Jack Del Rio and uh, Adrian Walker. Right, right, right. But like things that you'd set your hope on, that, that you'd set your, you know, uh, your faith in, like that great line from Luke's Gospel, we had hoped that he would become the Messiah. Um, but then all of a sudden God comes and he brings something new. So can you think of your first crushing moment? First crushing moment. First crushing moment as a child or perhaps, you know, like grade school or whatever. Um, oh, this is kind of funny and embarrassing. First one that comes to mind is asking out Mackenzie Cartwright in second grade. Go on. Shut down. That was bad. What did she say? I don't even know. How did these things happen? You're in second grade. What are you doing? Right. What are you doing? Well, I had I had my eyes set on somebody in second grade. Yeah. But... It, I never asked her. So you, you, miss, you miss 100 pitches that you don't swing at. So. <laughs> I guess that's true. So, and here we are. And that, that one didn't work out. That one didn't work out. And what did, you think, what did you think about your life from that moment on? When I was in second grade? Yeah. It was over. It was over. It was over. Life was over. Right. Right. 
Yeah, mine was mine was the fact that I didn't get Umbro shorts. Yeah. I just remember like at some point like wanting Umbro shorts and my dad being like, You're not getting Umbro shorts. I'd be like, Seriously? But I can't. I mean like this is it? Like yeah. this conversation's over? Um I think before the first crush and the first crushing destruction of it was uh, the story of you've heard it a million times walking through Toys R Us. This is back when we used to go to right uh, shops. Right. Like when you would go to stores to buy things instead of just Amazon. Right. And we're walking through the, forgive me if I've told this story on the podcast, oh, that's a good one. but we're walking through the um, Toys R Us. And usually what happened was Toys R Us was next to Kids R Us. Okay. This is back in Chicago. I so remember. This is like north, yeah. northern suburbs of Chicago. And um, so we had to go to Kids R Us and buy clothes. Lame. Hated it. But they always, the, the take was, we're going to Toys R Us next. Okay. So right. let's behave. Sure. And so I think I was, we were young. I think I was six, four or five maybe. And we were getting horns for our bikes. Right. Right. And my brother and I are walking through uh, Toys R Us with my dad. And my dad never remembers any of these stories. We laugh about them now. But these are like the uh, parenting is just one of these kind of real time things where mm-hmm. you're just, you know, think about what Mike, your brother's probably doing right now. It's just like everything is in real time. You're making decisions. You're trying to do this. Right. And, uh, so we're holding these horns, and they're super annoying. They're like big honk horns, like, ah, you know, every time you'd honk them. But for some reason, we were just, our hearts were set on, like, you got to have these things. And uh, so my brother honks the horn, ah, and my dad goes, guys, stop honking the horns. Okay, don't, Stop honking don't, the horns. Stop honking the horns. And he, we nod our heads. And then we walk five steps, and, ah, you know, and he turns again. My dad's a very... Very kind of low-key. measured. Measured. This is the colonel. Right. The the army ranger who's met his match with two little ones five (laughs) seconds later. And he goes, you need to stop honking those horns right now. Okay. And then he goes, boys, if you honk the horn. Mind you, I haven't honked it, mine. Okay. Never. I never honked it. Never honked it. Never honked honked the horn. There was a second honker. There was a (laughs) second. Right. And he goes. If you honk those horns one more time, you're going to lose them. And we're like, okay. And I turned and I was like, no, no. And he just looks at Steve and he grabs the horn and Steve screams and he points at me and he just grabs mine and goes, and I said, what? Why am I losing the horn? I didn't even honk the horn. And he goes, your brother will complain if I give you one and not him. So give me that. And I was like, no. Destroyer. Right. The father. Destroying. The the father is the destroyer. (laughs) Right. This, the, it begins. Never got a bike horn. It begins in this capacity and then it grows because then there are much bigger uh, kind of explosions of, of rage when we don't get what we want. Right. And I just marvel how many times in my life that God doesn't give exactly what I want and how angry I was, how absolutely like destitute and frustrated and like you've ruined everything. Nothing will good will ever come of this. It's all over. Everything's and then over. and then how many how many weeks later, months later, years later, I'm like, what well, what was that? You know? Yeah. What 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 happened there? And why is it that God why is it that God doesn't give what we want when we want it? That is the question. I learned this the hard way when I was a priest because I knew, I thought I knew what I wanted, right? And I got ordained and I got the dream assignment. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is perfect. And it was really, and it fell apart fast. 
And a lot of that was my fault. But it, it was terrible. And then two years later, I got reassigned and I got my worst nightmare. Right. Yeah. Worst nightmare. I mean, it was just, it's the mega church that's half Hispanic. My, and I don't speak Spanish at all. I'm terrible with languages. And it's just like, this is going to be a disaster. And it was amazing. Yep. It was an amazing two years. And what I learned at the end of four years as a priest was, I don't even know what I want. Right. And so the destru- the destruction teaches this con- continual perennial lesson of like, we actually don't know what we desire. Mm-hmm. We think we do. We think we know exactly what we want, but we, uh, we don't. And if, if relating to God is just about getting what we want, it's going to end in our own destruction. Right. And so the, the, the kind of paradox of the whole thing is that the destruction of our false desires and our false expectations in our life, and this is what my marriage is going to look like, my kids, my priesthood, my parish, uh, if he doesn't break things down, uh, when we never actually come to know what we actually want, and the and the freedom to know that we we can't even actually know that. I don't mm-hmm. think we actually really deeply know what will make us happy. And at what point are we ever going to know that? At what point am I ever going to be able to fast forward the tape and be able to say, "This is it. This is what I think I want." Yeah. You know, um, I I would say that part of the reason why God doesn't give us what we want is because then we turn God into an idol where we're in control. We make the right prayers. We say it the right way. Please, 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 please. I'll never ask for anything again. I promise I'll do everything you ask and I'll, and I'll never, I'll never want for anything more if you just give me this. And then God's like, no. And I'm like, then you hate me. Then you hate me and you've never loved me. And, uh, I'm, I've always asked for these things and I never get it. And if God were to capitulate in that way, he would be the bad dad who instead of setting boundaries for his kids and, you know, like actually saying, I mean, it was pretty measured, you know, you had, there was consequences. He was always measured. Yeah. And then, um, but we would turn God, we would turn God into an idol. And that's where I think it goes back to the first commandment. In seminary, we were asked uh, in our confession practicum, uh, one of our quizzes was, you have to name all the commandments in order. And I was like, oh, it's easy. First and greatest commandments, you should love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And it's like, wrong. First commandment is, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Mm. Right? And that's so unbelievably foundational. Because if you don't get that right... Nothing else matters. Everything's built on sand. Everything's built on that. And because if your God is the God that gives you what you want, then, well, I don't need to steal. Right. I don't need to lie. I always get what I want. Right. Or I'm I'm in control. And the renunciation that happens in that first commandment is is the, the kind of pivot point. It's the fulcrum. If you don't have that where he must increase, I must decrease, then you're going to spend the rest of your life saying, God, I just need to increase enough so that uh, I'm a, I'm at least a little bit better than all the rest of the persons, and I know that I've got you in my back pocket so that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna come through for me. I had this interesting grace a week ago or, or two. We've been reading the last couple chapters of Luke here as we're winding down uh, the liturgical year. Uh, moving into Advent, and I don't know if it's Luke 19 or 20 or whatever, but the um, it's the scene of the cleansing of the temple. Mm-hmm. 
where he comes in and it's like he lets loose. Right. I mean, this is just like he's pissed and and he's cleaning house. And you, you, you know, in Ignatian prayer, you kind of apply your imagination. And I just I just imagine just like animals everywhere, doves flying, birds, people screaming, freaking out. I mean, the cleansing of the temple was not this kind of nice, kind of clean cut. Uh, you know, German kind of ordered like, okay, everybody at this point, you know, the Lufthansa flight is about to begin. So right. if we need to ask our first class customers to please, you know, it was not like that. It was a right. mess. And the whole, the whole, the whole point of that, the word that came that day for me was, I can't teach you until I cleanse you hmm. because he cleanses and then he teaches in hmm. the temple. Yeah. And so much of the time we don't understand the faith because we refuse to allow the destruction and the cleansing, uh, which is actually for our own good, but he has to create the space, so to speak, uh, in order to rebuild the, mm. the, the kingdom of our life, to use that example from Daniel or whatever it might be. And that was just very convicting for me of, of how uh, I, want, I want everything first. I want all the teachings. I want everything kind of intellectualized, worked out. I'm, I'm just a closet Hegelian. I want, give me the system, and we're just going to off Cahoban this thing into my own perfect holiness. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works, right? He has to really, he has to really destroy. And destruction's painful, right? I mean, it's 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 rough when it go, when it goes down, right? Because it's usually things that you've built, right? And the systems that you've built, and and the the foundation that you've laid, and you invested time in it. And uh, if you take this from me, then it's actually going to affect me. I've put myself in these things, and I was struck to by. Uh, I don't like it when people choose this reading for um, for funerals. I think it's a difficult reading uh, to preach on, but the one from Ecclesiastes. But if you think about that, it the says souls of the just are in the hands of God. No, the oh. Ecclesiastes where it's like there there's a time there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to uh, plant and a time to uproot the plant, a time uh, to pick up stones and a time to uh, you know lay lay them down or whatever. And I think we're much more comfortable with one side of that you know a time to be born great time to die wah a time to uh rejoice yay and a time to weep lame and Gronsky said to me once uh when he was dying he said uh he said i'm sorry that you have to spend your time uh of that i'm sorry you have to spend this time with me here and i said it's better to be in the house of mourning than in the house of rejoicing if that's where you're supposed to be there is that i mean we don't naturally gravitate towards those times but when that time comes upon you if you learn to receive that and embrace that then it's not a time where i've been abandoned by god it's actually a time where god is doing something greater and I need to perceive that. Yeah. And the Shangri-La times, the 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 you know festive times, sometimes those are great. Sometimes those are just great because I'm getting what I want. And God certainly wants to grant that. I don't mean to give the impression that you can never will anything because God will take it away. Your ordination, our ordination, some people's marriage... Uh, the birth of their first child, whatever, or their second child, excuse me, <laughs> the birth of their second child um, 
can really be a, a, a profound moment where you really, you sense that I'm in alignment with what God desires. But the task is, I can't hold on to that as if I have arrived. I mean, I had a friend of mine recently where uh, she conceived and uh, there was just great rejoicing. It's just like, this is the will of God. Praise God. Like, we're so thankful. They just got married. You know, we rejoice. And then two months later, miscarriage. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, that's sad and it's, it's sorrowful. And I don't rejoice that, that, that there was a destruction there in a way, that there was, um, that, 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 that life that we thought was going to come to full fruition didn't. But I also don't believe that God's plan was so unbelievably thwarted that God was like, what am I supposed to do with this now? And that's hard for people. Yeah. I think within that, one of the things you said earlier is interesting that as Americans, we moralize our feelings, right? Hmm. We, uh, so joy is good and sorrow is bad. Sure. Uh, with this destruction, with this kind of destructive work, with the floods, so the deluge, I mean, look at the Old Testament. It's just like continual mm-hmm. destruction and purification and, and rebuilding and perfection. Um, I was talking to a guy recently, and he's built this whole apostolate. And I said, if I ask you to surrender that and to give it all up, if I destroy it, um, are you ready for that? And he yeah. goes, I don't care. It means nothing to me. And I said, then you're not a human being. Because you have to acknowledge your loves, and you should love this, and you sh- your heart should be broken, right? I remember when we were in seminary and we were doing, we caught the vision for discipleship. This is back before it was cool to do discipleship, um, even though Focus was doing it. And uh, at the parish, and we started working with all these high school kids, and it was amazing um, what was happening. And then the seminary at a certain point said, we're going to crush this. We're going to destroy this. Right. Watch us. And you're going to, and you're going you're gonna, to, and it was terrible. And, it, and I, I told this guy that story. I said, it took me a year to get over it. And he goes, you should have got over it immediately. It's the will of God. And I was like, but we're not machines, right? So you should feel sorrow when destruction happens. If someone didn't feel tremendous sadness and grief over a miscarriage, I would say, you're not a human being. Yeah. You should feel sorrow at the loss of these things. But you don't, you don't die in that. And, and that's the dangerous thing about the culture we're in now, this victim mentality of uh, which is just where you you wallow and you take your victimhood as a power, which is a which is a reversal from the way that Christ offers Himself as victim, is that I'm going to use this now to beat other people or to do whatever I want. You see this all over the place, and that's what's scary is that um, we have to let things be, we have to let things happen, and we have to help each other to let things happen, mm-hmm. and that's part of the destruction. We can't cling to these things. Right. Um, we have to hold things gently in life. And I would say that actually part of the morning is a deeper invitation to faith, but it doesn't just happen immediately. Look at Jonah and his gourd plant. He had his gourd plant, he wanted his gourd plant, and then God takes away his gourd plant, and he just has a meltdown. And he's like, you took away my gourd plant, you've never cared for me, like, why don't you do the things that I ask? And it's like, why do you care about this gourd plant? You didn't create it. And there's a reception of, yeah, you're right, but you have to go through that moment. You have to go through that more moment in order to get to the deeper truth. What I don't like about that, and I don't know, I mean, I, I don't want to argue with you about this point, but St. Ignatius says something similar, where it's like, 
if if God were to you know destroy the Jesuits, what would you do? And he's like, I would go to the chapel and I would you know hand it all to the Lord and I would I would begin again. And I'm like, yes, but that is only learned over time, right. and you can't just leap into that. Sometimes people give me spiritual truths, and they're like, well, this is obviously what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm supposed to forgive. And I'm like, yeah, you are, but in time, like as an organic process, not just like I've, I don't know, plugged in a, a software update and then you know I blink my eyes and it's like, oh, that's just what I'm supposed to do. Because then, like, you're not you're not in the process of God revealing. It's just God. Um, I don't know. Like, He told me what to do. That's what I do. It fine. But there was, and I think that's true. Um, there was a certain point, probably in Ignatius's life, where he couldn't say, "I go to the chapel," and it would take me twenty minutes to get over the destruction of the Jesuits. Right. But he did get to that point. And a lot of times uh, when we found things, families, parishes, podcasts, whatever, it's the slow, continual dispossession of that thing that has to take place because the problem is that God's trying to purify our loves, right? He yeah. wants all inordinancy out. And this is why Ignatian spirituality is extremely helpful in this regard to say that the problem is inordinate attachments to right. things. Right. And in my opinion, the hardest way this is lived out, what is the hardest thing that God has destroyed? It's, it's relationships for me. It's friendships that I've had to walk through periods of life and literally, I mean, even recently where friendships just fall apart. They just fall apart. And part of that is because I was inordinately attached and the Lord said, you're creating idols. You're right. creating idols of your friendship. Right. Now, not everybody does this, but I do this, you know? And when he takes that and he, and he, he, he just sh- they shatter all of a sudden you say how could this happen we're christians we're supposed to be in in communion we're supposed to be above this right we should do this should 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 it ought to be this it yeah. doesn't look like this and then we have to face the fact that it's like our loves are poor and broken we get inordinately attached to things we look for people to stabilize our lives and it causes dysfunction and it creates idol- a spiritual idolatry in our hearts right and then and that if we make the primary relationship with those on earth, then God will come and destroy those. He will come and destroy them, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's really hard to hear because it's so closely proximate to what God is desiring for us, but he will not. He will accept no substitutes. And if all of it is in right order, then at that point, I think we, we find that we're at peace— because we're able to receive and give to God, and then from that, all those other things. But then once the order is shifted out, I, I mean, he gets, I think he actually gets angry. I mean, obviously not, I mean, like, but I think his love is experienced as anger, because then he comes and he says, no, not going to do that. And I'm like, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? I, I've, I've, I've done all these things, and all I've done is serve you. And, and you won't even give me this. You won't even give me my goat, mm-hmm. you know? I still, to this day, remember the sunset. Or no, the, excuse me. I still, to this day, remember the sunrise the day after I broke up with this girl in high school. I still remember to this day because it was so beautiful, and I hated God because he made such beautiful things, and he wouldn't give me my beautiful thing, which is this girl. 
And what is that? And if that happened then, why do I think that I've grown out of it now? Right. Why do I think that that same spirit isn't sort of operating now? And I say this, brothers and sisters, because I believe God is destroying the church. Aspects of the church that he doesn't like. And we think that he's destroying the church, his bride, and that's not it. He's destroying aspects of our perception, our idolatrous uh, relationship to the church. And he's saying, no, not, not even that. And in this whole scandal, I think there is a purging. And the purging that's happening is painful. And part of it is that I'm hearing is that people have made priests into idols. Right. They say to me constantly, it was God and then the priests and then the nuns. That's what it was. And I'm like, I, I, think, we, I think we had to be purged of that. And I, don't, I would not say that God willed any of those sins to happen. But once they've happened, God is going to purge us of whatever infection has happened in the body of the church so that we can more deeply be attached to the church and to Christ and to him, the Father. And that's really hard because only... Only someone with uh, deafness and um, and training and understanding can wield a scalpel. And I would say that part of what's happening right now is in a in a mystical way, God is um, cutting the body of the church in order to remove gangrenous, ugly, seemingly healthy but infected parts so that the the body not just can be saved, but healed. That's a very interesting insight. Um, and I think it's a very healthy way to look at the, uh, the what is happening with the scandal, so the purging and the purifying of just like get it out, just get these things out. And he's destroying, like you said, anything that is not of him in the church because it is his body. It's the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christ's body is in heaven, right? I mean, his physical body is is in heaven, glorified. And so, this thing, this is this is of God, uh, in grace, and it is uh, something that constantly has to be guarded by a divine vigilance. And I uh, I think that Balthazar would totally agree with you on that. That's why he wrote the book "Raising the Bastions," right? R A Z I N G. Mm-hmm. We have to level these bastions that we've built up against the world. All right, the fortress that's going to protect us, mm-hmm. um, these things that are not of God, ways that we've aligned ourselves as a church politically. You know, Look at the three places where the church collapsed literally overnight in the late 60s. They were the three places that were most politically aligned, right? So in Belgium, Ireland, and Quebec. Hmm. George Weigel speaks about this. Absolute, complete secularization in a way that we've seen like un- unlike anywhere else in the United States. Yeah. Absolute disaster. Why? Because God has to destroy especially those bastions that that just lean too much into the temporal power and just align themselves too much politically. Mm-hmm. And uh that is that's one aspect of this, right? I mean clerical abuse is another thing, but it's 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 just it's about power. Right. 
Yeah, but uh, and, and not just to dwell on on clerical abuse. I think I think part of it is uh, at the foot of the cross. That is where you see people most clearly. Like the the full imprint of who they are comes to light. So you see the Pharisees for what they really want. They were bloodthirsty. They wanted Jesus out. Then you see the Pilate who seems like he's in power and is really just afraid uh, to lose his power. And then you see the disciples who are so fickle and everything else. And God, in the midst of all of that, is in control. And what he's destroying, what he's destroying is his own self. And he's offering his own self for the recreation of the world. So, I mean, when I, I just uh, taught the SY guys, which honestly, I, I have a newfound respect always. Anytime I get in front of a podium, which is different than an ambo at the church, because after 10 minutes, I can sit down and then say some really brilliant things that have nothing to do with me, and they're written on a page, and I don't have to do anything else. I don't, Talking for 50 minutes in front of people is like, it's a lot of airtime, and there's no like back and forth. You can't even get a breath. So I just, you know, preached or talked to the taught the guys on uh, Heart of the World. And if you think about Jesus as the mystical body, the cosmic Christ, if there's an infection in the body, the body is actually going to fight against the infection. Hmm. But if we think that, no, this is the good thing, this is what we want to propose, then all of a sudden, the if we are aligning ourselves with that, the antibodies and the the white blood cells or whatever are doing war with the very infection that we need to keep out. And if we're uncomfortable with that, then we're just going to say, no, it has to keep growing. Let it grow. That's tumors. Mm. That's that's the the body unregulated and acting out. And God does not, the body of Christ does not have cancer, but it does have wounds and those wounds can become glorious. Destroying the the destruction can lead to recreation. And uh, that's what I think that all of us are kind of awaiting right now. And I don't know when that's going to happen. Everybody wants to just turn the page and just be like, church gets its act together, we get 10 more saints, and then you know everything's fine. It's like there's countless stories of persecutions and everything else in the Acts of the Apostles. And by the end of it, it doesn't conclude with, and Paul and Peter went to Rome and they lived happily ever after. Hmm. But I think a lot of people want that with the scandal, with the Pachamama garbage, with all of it. And it's like, you know what? God's in control. Because if he's not in control, we're screwed. And who are you going to put your faith in? The government? Yourself? Only God. And that's what I would encourage everyone, you know, today is... Think back to those moments where you were just destroyed. You were destroyed. You were cut down. You were at your lowest. And then see where you are now. Maybe you're still at that point. Maybe you're still suffering. God is with you. God is not has not abandoned you. But I tell you, brothers and sisters, if we're not comfortable with destruction, uh, we're not going to be able to receive the joy of the resurrection. So that's it today. Well done. That was well um, done. Yeah, vale la pena, as they say. It's worth it. It's worth, worth the pain. Worth right? the pain. Vale la pena. That, that 
Well done. I, I didn't know where it was going to go when you said the topic title. Destruction. But the Destroyer. It sounds like, you know, Val the uh, Impaler. When we were when we were in Rome with my, uh, not Rome, uh, Ferrara, with my great uncle Giorgio. Um, Giorgio. He, uh, he said, we said, we're thinking about taking a day trip from from here to like, you know, I can't remember where it was. It was a different different medieval town near there, whatever. And he goes, no, you will be destroyed. <laughs> because like, he was like trying to say, you'll be so exhausted. You will be destroyed. destroyed. Anywho. Yeah. Very so, nice. All right. One shout out. Um, so I was in college with a uh, John Paul Deddens, who I was very proud of because he started his own initiative called the uh, Illinois Students for Life. Uh, Students for Life of Illinois that has now grown out of Illinois thanks be to God because Illinois is a cesspool of uh, abortion mills and everything else uh, our, the governor of that state needs a major conversion but uh, John Paul started this uh, group called uh, We Dignify and it, and um, they also do a podcast uh, which promotes the culture of life and, and dialogue uh, with uh, the dignity of the human person so I just want to thank him uh, for um, his work in that. Uh, direct you to that podcast. We're uh, in Advent, so we are awaiting the birth of Jesus. So if you can check out We Dignify, that would be great. Very nice. And I have a uh, just one shout out also from Kevin Bees. B i e s e e. Bees. Is that right? Bees. Kevin Bees. So Kevin sent us a really nice package. So we met very briefly last year at Seek. Uh, he had a uh, booth for uh, biking for babies. Right, which is a uh, uh, a part uh, something that they founded and really uh, he's a missionary and it's this beautiful pro life work. And yeah, he sent this long letter here, um, and it was just uh, they listen, and I got a I got a jersey out of it. It's funny now that I'm reading. The, I thought the jersey was for me. It's kind of for all of us, but I don't know if it's gonna. It's a medium. It's a medium. It's not a six. Maybe a, we'll six take. Sex. Maybe we'll all take pictures in the jersey just to show you. That uh, some of us look more like we have a pronounced baby bump. Some of us will put them on first so that we can actually, you know, right before they the stretch. So, no, but I, I, it was just a very thoughtful letter and um, and the, just a great gift. And so, Kevin, thanks for your work. Uh, and so, people check out Biking for Babies. Um, you can email him for more information. But it's just it's a beautiful pro life work. Great jerseys too. Great jersey made by. Uh, um, Primal, I think, is the name of the company, and uh, so we really appreciated that. I will uh, likely not share it with Father Nathan, but Father Mike, maybe I'll let him uh, borrow it as well. So, and Olo, I don't think he does exercise, but um, maybe does he? Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, anyways, that's uh, and maybe you can put it on in that treadmill in the back. You have. Uh, if you know. only, yeah. If only. You can only imagine, right? So. Yeah, I'm gonna start willingly destroying myself so that I can <laughs> shed some of this you know, five guys weight so anyways we got a we got a tired seminarian we got to get out of his guest room right uh, we are uh, gonna send you off with uh, catamaran cats hold on a uh, second. Uh, from the jazz loon what number is that it's on right now 13 just press play it should just be going oh yeah by now I'm in the holy land uh how am, I, how am I supposed to talk about the Holy Land? Um, so uh, I will be on pilgrimage. I'm already on pilgrimage right now. Um, so uh, if I've gotten blown up by uh, somebody in Hezbollah, uh, know that it's been a great run, and I want Club Catamaran played over my casket at my visitation. Uh, 
This is this is a Catholic stuff you should know podcast, a J10 initiative. We're signing off. Happy Advent. We'll see you soon from Club Catamaran.